the one who has saved us from our sin, the one who has made us heirs alongside Christ uh, as citizens of heaven. We give thanks and praise to him now. May he help us in our devotions today as we continue through Romans. We're in Romans 13 today. Sometimes as we navigate the course of this life, we can be tempted to separate off our spiritual lives from our real lives, our daily lives. We can wonder how being citizens of heaven correlates with being citizens of Great Britain or the United Kingdom or of whichever other country we are citizens of. Where does your citizenship lie? Are you a proud citizen of the United Kingdom? If not, would you like to be? Perhaps you're uh, proud of your citizenship of another country. Or are you a citizen of heaven? In Romans 13, Paul moves from uh, talking about the impact that the gospel makes, uh, a gospel understanding of of God and, and how he relates to us. Paul moves from talking about that impact uh, on the life-changing Christian faith uh, on each of us and how we relate to others. That's what he's been talking about in chapter 12, how we relate to one another, both to other Christians uh, and to others. And now he wants his readers to consider the impact of his faith, of, of our faith, on how we view and interact with the state in which we live. I wonder how you view these things. Perhaps they seem irreconcilable. The world and its governments, so often either ambivalent uh, or even opposed to the church and the good news of Jesus. Paul argues that for the believer... We're not to close ourselves off from the world's authorities, but neither are we to serve them as we serve only Christ alone. No. Jesus is our Lord and Saviour. We owe him our primary allegiance. Yet he is the one with supreme power and authority over all things. He has instituted the governments of the world either as a blessing or as a curse. And we must gain understanding accordingly for how we are to relate to the governing authorities who are above us. Now, here in the UK, if you've had children in schools in recent years, you will have noticed how schools promote British values. British values good and noble things such as democracy the rule of law mutual respect and tolerance of those of different faiths and beliefs I think the vast majority of us would approve of these things right? but from where do those things get their moral grounding and authority can we just 
pluck these noble values out of thin air and hold them up as venerable? Or do they require more substance and authority? Well, for the Christian, the Lord our God is the one who provides the moral foundation and the rationale for upholding these values. These principles for living and relating to the authorities and society that we live in. We do so because we love God and we want to honour him by submitting to the order that he has established. Let's read, shall we, from Romans 13. We're going to read the first seven verses. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring judgment on the wrongdoer. Therefore it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. May the Lord bless us with understanding this morning. As we unpack this, we'll see uh, through exploring uh, these three points, firstly power, and then punishment, and finally payment. Power, punishment, and payment. We'll understand how God is at work in and through our governments. Firstly then, power. We need to remember two things at the outset as we explore this. Firstly, we need to understand that the government at the time of Paul, when he's writing this letter to the church in Rome, the government then was not a Christian government. It was not even a government remotely favourable towards the church. In fact, it could not have been much more opposed to the Christian faith. That's the first thing we need to understand. Secondly, when he left this earth at his ascension, Jesus confirmed all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We read it this morning uh, from that same text, Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of every nation. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all my commandments. Friends, the fact that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth means that nothing happens without his permission. Let's think about that for a second. Nothing happens in this world without God's permission. Now that's different from saying with God's approval, right? But nothing happens without his permission. Wherever we are and whatever is happening is in some way happening to prove the sufficiency and supremacy and righteousness of Christ our Lord. Either through good and noble rulers who reflect his goodness and his nobility or through uh, corrupt and perverse rule. Those corrupt and perverse rulers show us how much we need Christ. Show us the fruit of uh, evil thoughts and evil ideologies. Our rulers either cause us to rejoice in the upright order of things, or we pray for a desire of more of Christ because of our lack. Paul tells us that whatever our experience, whatever our experience, whether the rulers are good and noble or whether they are corrupt and perverse, that we are to submit to the ruling authorities. In Daniel chapter 4 and verse 17, we learn that the Lord our God is in sovereign control of all human governments and he gives power to whoever he wishes. Paul recognises it here in verse 1, that there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. If God has instituted the authorities over us, if he has installed them, whether or not we voted for them, whether we judge them good or bad, if God has established them, then it is right for us as Christians to show respect and submit to them. Those in positions of power and control have been providentially installed in their positions by God himself either for a blessing or in judgment. We love it, don't we, when there's order, when there's functionality, when we have upright rulers and leaders who set a good example to us, who who inspire us and motivate us. That's why Jesus is the supreme example. He's the supreme leader. He never lets us down in that sense, right? And in Scripture we see throughout Examples of of good and godly leaders, sadly few examples, and then examples of corrupt and bad leaders. Yoko and I in our devotions recently have been looking at First Chronicles, and there we see the establishment of David's kingdom, and the order that, that David, who's humble before God, brings to Israel. And they have a wonderful time of blessing. They, they have the correct uh, religious institutions uh, promoted and uh, given resources and given focus. 
That's why David's reign was largely so blessed and, and so good. Because he was rightly orientated before God. And so the same is true for us in our day too. We must pray for our governments that they would be a blessing rather than a scourge and a judgment upon us. Next, Paul says in uh, verses 3 to 4 that submitting to the authorities is a wise thing to do. Without the order that a government and its laws bring, human self-interest would make a functional society impossible. Just think about some of the nations around the world where corruption has made the effective rule of law almost impossible. Maybe some, maybe some of your home countries are like that. Maybe that's one of the reasons why you sought out a move to the UK. Self-interest means that only those who can pay their way succeed. Functional society is barely recognisable in such places and many people suffer. Paul says we must do what is right and receive the approval of officials for they are God's servant for our good. He says also the government does not bear the sword in vain. The governing authorities, not every private citizen, must hold the right to enforce civil sanctions. Things like fines, imprisonment or even the death penalty in some places. In order for us to have order and an objective rule of law, that needs to happen. Finally, in verses 6 to 7, Paul suggests that we're to submit because it is fair to submit. In providing stability for us all to live, we must pay our taxes. Governing a society is a tough job, and so there is a cost associated with ensuring law and order. The authorities have the challenge of ruling honourably. We have the challenge of submitting to them. And the reality is that only when this works will progress be possible as a society. Let's continue to explore as we look at the next two points, uh, punishment and payment. Firstly, punishment. Whilst the magistrate, the civil government, possesses the power to punish lawbreakers, there is a greater power above and beyond the earthly powers with the ability to punish human sin and wrongdoing eternally. Although Paul has instructed us quite clearly to be in submission to the authorities, there are limitations. Jesus taught us, didn't he? To give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to give to God what is God's, Matthew 22, verse 21. And in verse 7 here, Paul teaches the same thing when he says that we are to pay to all what is owed to them. We're to give to all what is owed to them in their positions. Now in the first century Roman Empire, the government 
went well beyond what was reasonable. In demanding worship of the emperor and enforcement of the imperial cult. The truth was that the government was not owed worship. But uh, it was owed payment of reasonable taxes for, uh, for governance. So there's a clear principle of qualified obedience. That means where a government is fulfilling its God-ordained mandate, then it should receive what it's due. But where it oversteps, where it demands things that are only due to God, as Christians, we no longer have an obligation to submit. Why? Because doing so would mean sinning against God. And the punishment for that would be far worse. Far worse even than imprisonment. Far worse than corporal punishment. Far worse in some cases even than the death penalty. Some of you know what that means in your home countries. If our government enforces ungodly and unbiblical ideas about human identity and sexual morality, for example, then we are under no obligation to accept or conform to those principles. Yeah, you heard what I said, friends. We are under no obligation to accept uh, ungodly and unbiblical ideas about human identity or sexual behaviour. If the government were to seek to enforce multi-faith worship, for example, compromising the teaching of the Bible, then we would be under no obligation to submit to that. There are other examples I'm sure we can think of. Jesus' teaching goes right to the heart of the status quo in the first century. When the Roman authorities, when pagan society realize the claims of Christianity to a higher authority than their pantheon of gods and the imperial cult. This brought all manner of persecution down upon the church. And here, for us, in this increasingly secular West in the 21st century, here we are only just beginning to experience levels of opposition and hostility that would have been familiar to the first century Christians. But if we think we have it tough now, spare a thought and a prayer for those suffering true persecution in lands where to follow Jesus can cost you your life. In verses 3 and 4, Paul says that rulers are not a terror to those who do right. Conversely, if a government becomes a terror to those who are doing right, right according to God's word, then the implication is that we ought not to submit to that. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 29, the Apostle Peter declares to the Jewish authorities when they tried to silence preaching about Jesus and his resurrection. What did Peter say? We must obey God rather than men. So, friends, if the state commands what God forbids, then civil disobedience becomes a sacred Christian duty. In all cases, having submitted to God, 
seeking his will and his glory, we must humbly make an example as upright and obedient citizens as far as the law of the land permits us. My final point, payment. In verse 7, Paul tells us that we must pay our taxes. Something that Jesus has also said. We must pay what we owe, since the authorities are ministers of God. They are God's servants, whether we realise it or not. Did you know that? So when, when we hear of government ministers yeah, on TV... When we hear of the Prime Minister, that sounds exalted, right? That sounds a lofty uh, position. Maybe some of you children are thinking one day you might like to be Prime Minister. Well, remember this. A minister is a servant, okay? So these are servants. They are public servants. They are there to uphold righteous principles. They are there to serve the population over whom God has placed them. And so if they no longer serve, if they are no longer servant-hearted, if they are out of touch with the people, then we must look to the suffering servant. We must look to our King, the Lord Jesus Christ, for his wisdom and for his help. These servants, whether they realise it or not, are God's servants and the Bible tells us that God even governs the thoughts of unbelieving leaders, constraining their hand at times, causing them instead to fulfil his plan and purpose. We have a great God who is high over all and he is able to make a, uh, an impact as we pray and as we trust him as we go through life. But the notion of payment goes beyond submitting our tax return and paying our dues. Now we are to pay all that is owed to them, Paul says. In addition to the monetary payments, we are to respect those who, to whom respect is owed. We are to honour those to whom honour is owed. Sometimes that is uh, merely by the function that they have, the office that they have. Maybe they're not good and faithful servants but there is an order that God has instituted but above all God our Father is owed respect and honour if it was not for him making payment for sin on our behalf through the perfect sacrifice of his son our Lord Jesus then where would we be? well friends we would be eternally lost without hope, without purpose or worth. It is to our God that we owe everything. If we have tasted his goodness, if we've turned away from our sinful selfishness, we have now become, by the very grace and love of God, citizens of heaven, blessed forevermore. Yet whilst we are indeed citizens of heaven, praise God, According to his providence, we are also citizens of the United Kingdom. Whether we carry the passport or not, God has brought us to this place to shine as his children. And we are to submit to the governing authorities, paying what we owe. But as we do this, we are to have a keen eye 
on evaluating ourselves, evaluating our families, and also evaluating the state in which we live. As Christians, we now live according to conscience, Paul says, verse 5. It is necessary to submit to authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. We live according to conscience, guided by the Holy Spirit of God within us. Once we are born again into a new and living hope that is found in Christ alone, we are empowered to submit. Having submitted to Almighty God, we can submit to the authorities that he has ordained. But our conscience restrains us to obey respectfully and honourably those things commendable and desired by God. It's perfectly possible, you know, for us to submit and obey simply for fear of punishment or sanction. But if that were the case, if we were only obeying our government because they would fine us or they would send us to prison if we didn't, then we are no different from our unbelieving friends. As soon as the fear of punishment is removed, many of them no longer obey, no longer constrained to pay what they owe. But as followers of Christ the King, he has written his law on our hearts. He's caused us to delight in what pleases him and to build a truly noble and radical, radically God-glorifying society. Friends, we obey our government out of Christian conscience, out of obedience to God alone. As we face choices with children in state schools, as those of us who are able to vote, we make choices in elections. May the Lord help us to exercise discernment according to the conscience he has given us and to be careful to give our governing authorities what we owe them but to God our Saviour all the more that we owe him day by day. Shall we bow our heads in prayer?